This sermon is presented by Geico as well. Uh, I don't know if you uh, didn't pick up on that, but something super exciting is happening in August of 2020. Major League Baseball is going to have the first ever uh, baseball game, uh, Major League Baseball game in Iowa in 2020 at the Field of Dreams ball field. How crazy is that? I mean, uh, if you've never seen Field of Dreams, you need to watch it uh, after the Chiefs game or whatever, but you need to watch Field of Dreams if you've never seen it because it's a great movie. Um, But the Chicago White Sox, uh, which have a big role in that movie, are going to be playing the New York Yankees. Um, (laughs) Really, it should be the Red Sox because uh, in the movie, he goes to Fenway Park and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I don't know, maybe too much socks in one game is why they chose the Yankees. So anyway, um, in 2020, uh, there's the rendering of what it will look like. And so the, the ball field is up to the right, but what they're building is going to be to the left. You can walk through the cornfield to get there. Um, hopefully you don't die as you go through the cornfield, since that's a part of the movie. And uh, I mean, you go to heaven, so like that's cool. Um, You probably have lots of questions. Uh, Well, there's an FAQ section on Major League Baseball's website, and and I'm going to read through some of those. So uh, when's the game? It's Thursday, August 13th uh, in Dyersville, Iowa, at the Field of Dreams uh, ballpark, like we said. Uh, The Yankees versus the White Sox. It's actually going to be considered a home game for the White Sox, and they're going to forfeit one of their games at Guaranteed Rates Field, which is just such a great name for a stadium, isn't it? Uh, does this count as a regular season game? Yes. This is for all the marbles, or at least for uh, one of those games. So uh, Fox is going to broadcast it. It's going to be on like at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, can you get tickets? Well, there's only going to be 8,000 seats available. So you could get tickets and not have any retirement afterward, probably, right? Like, uh, I would love to be at that game, but like, oh my gosh, they're gonna, you know, they're just gonna be raking in all that dough. Um, So like you saw in the picture, they're constructing a new ball field. Um, You're gonna be able to go through uh, the cornfield to get to it, and the right field uh, wall is gonna be uh, windows so that you can actually see the cornfield uh, during the game. Doesn't that sound just amazing, especially if you like that movie? And if you haven't watched that movie, what is wrong with you? Do you hate America and baseball? Probably. Um, the field's going to stay intact, um, but the movie uh, company that oversees Field of Dreams, they're going to kind of run it and operate it. And, and I think it'd be cool if every year there was a game there with different teams. So um, will people come? Yes, Ray. Oh, yes, Ray. People will come. People will most definitely come. And if you don't get that joke, watch the movie. (laughs) There's some great headlines out there, but this is probably the best one that I saw. Build it and they will gamble. Unfortunately, yes. So we're in a series called The Tangible Kingdom. It's based off of a book and an even better small group resource that talks about what is the kingdom of God? What is that? And and how does the church fit into that? What does that look like? How do we make the kingdom of God actually tangible to people so that they understand it, that it's practical, that it's something that you can actually live, and it's a great resource. And so uh, the questions we're delving into and looking at is how do we make it so that people can see Jesus at work, at, that Jesus is at work in the world, and that God wants a relationship with them? How do we help people see that having God in our lives 
is uh, going to change us for the better and transform us in, in ways that we could only imagine. We believe that it starts with a paradigm shift, that you have to actually have a mental shift in how you're looking at what the church is supposed to be about. That it's not just about these walls, that we come in here and we gather together for an hour-ish, give or take, if Brian uh, goes extra time in his message or not, um, and then we zip out and we're done. It's more than that. It's, it's a way of life. It's being sent. And so last week we introduced a new term, it was the term missional. It's a word that you can use to impress your friends, but what it means is being sent. We get it from the word uh, missionary, like what we talked about last week, that we are supposed to be a sent people, no matter who we are. That if we follow Jesus, we are a sent people, and we're supposed to fulfill the command to be a blessing to this world, just like how God commanded Abraham to be a blessing to the world. Today, we're going to give you another $10 word, incarnational. And you want to repeat that on three, shall we? One, two, three. Incarnational. Yeah, it's a big $10 word. You can pr uh, impress all your nerdy friends. Um, to be incarnational, what does that mean? It means to be with, as in how Jesus was with us when he, took, uh, when he came from heaven and, and became human. Incarnation means to embody in the flesh, as in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so the missional part of this is Jesus leaving God the creator and coming to earth to be sent to teach us how to live, to, to die and resurrect for us. And the incarnational part is how Jesus lived, how he lived among us what he taught and how he practiced what he taught. And so if you can picture a bicycle, if uh, being missional is the front wheel that guides you, being incarnational is the back wheel that powers how that bike operates. The idea about being incarna incarnational comes from our rabbi, our savior, our Lord Jesus of Nazareth, and how we believe that God came to exist in human form for our redemption. So, uh, our scripture for today is from John chapter 1, and so if you want to open up your Bible or in your Bible app, crack that open. Uh, I'm using a different version than what we might be used to. I'm using the voice because I like how sometimes different versions bring out different feels to uh, passages. And so this is from the voice, John chapter 1. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever-present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in Him. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light, a light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. The voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We have seen him enveloped in an undeniable splendor, the one true son of the Father, evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. A perfect balance of grace and truth. That's one of the, the things that I love about this version is that it brings a, a flair that maybe we kind of gloss over when we uh, read a passage uh, so many times in our lives. 
So many times as uh, Christ followers in trying to emulate Jesus, what we end up doing is forgetting about this balance between grace and truth and how you live that out. Does this sound uh, familiar? Can you relate to this at all? We end up majoring on the truth a lot of times. This comes at the expense of, uh, of relationships. Do you, you know that you have some people in your life that are always saying, well, it's the truth. They got to know it. Like, and they're just, they're harping on it. And, and it's, it's almost, it's a little too much. Like they need to just take a chill pill. You have some people like this in your life, maybe. And so what ends up happening is we forget to embody that balance of grace and truth. And Jesus was that perfect balance. Now, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that is, that is the crux of Christianity. That is the heart of our faith, that we believe in that, that, that uh, we live and die by that. That's the essence of what makes Christianity. But just as important as Jesus' death and resurrection is how he lived. And that Jesus made his life among us. That for 30-odd years, his presence was with people. That he hugged people when they needed it. He grieved with them when they were grieving. He laughed. He, he sat at the table and, and broke bread. He made fart jokes. You know he had good fart jokes. But he was, he was present with us. And in showing us how to live as true humans, a lot of times we major on how Jesus was God, and, and we get that down. Like, we believe that Jesus is God in human flesh, and that he's divine, and he does all these miracles, and it's God breaking into this world in a new way. But what we, we sometimes lose when we don't have that balance is that he was truly human, and that that is gospel and good news just as much as the death and resurrection of Christ, because he showed us that, that we can be human as well. What it means to be truly human is how Jesus lived, showing us how to be uh, loving, how to forgive, how to promote peace, how to serve, how to share about the kingdom of God with others. Jesus taught us how to deal with anxiety, how to pray, how, how to work with money in our lives. He teaches us how to be human and, uh, and to, how to help us to teach other people what it means to be human in the image of Jesus. And so that's what it means to be incarnational, that we put the message of Jesus into real life stuff, into our lives that we live out day after day. And so how do you do this? Build it and they will come. <laughs> Again, you got to watch the movie. Build it and they will come. It's one of those lines that uh, Ray starts to hear again and again, and he thinks he's nuts, and he has to build this ball field in the middle of his cornfield, his, his life, uh, the way he makes his living. So uh, way back when, uh, a handful of decades ago, um, there was a shift in our culture. Churches started to die off because people were going to church less and less. And listen to my language, going to church, like the building right? We kind of forgot how to be uh, the church outside of those walls, and so it became this kind of institutional thing. And when our culture shifted and, and people stopped wanting to go and be in a space for an hour or whatever with other people, uh, churches started shutting down. 
But on the other hand, uh, there were lots of churches that were reaching people in really creative and innovative ways. And they started uh, becoming more attractional and bringing more people in. And so what did those churches do? They built bigger spaces. And Woods Chapel, uh, in our history, we, we decided to move from uh, Woods Chapel Road over here in, near the Lakewood subdivision to this site. And at the time, there wasn't a ton of development, but there was new neighborhoods that were going in. It was very exciting. And so when people would drive by, they'd see this church with the big green roof. I used to sign my uh, youth group uh, emails to parents, uh, see you under the big green roof. And so uh, today, every once in a while, when someone says, uh, you know, where do you go to church, or, or we talk about where I work or whatever, um, I, I say, it's, it's the church on the outer road with the big green roof. Oh, yeah, 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 I know where that is. And so people were very inviting back in 1999 and 2000 when uh, this facility was, was built. But there was a kind of a sense that um, even though we were very inviting, there was also a, a church. And so uh, we didn't have to go out of our way because it was such a new thing and such an exciting thing that people wanted to be here. And they came. Raise your hand if you're one of those people that around 1999, 2000, 2001, that, that you were uh, some of those people. Yeah, a handful of you are in, are in here. Some of you predate. Some of you who are, are here that were after that. But the thing about this shift and not not about Woods Chapel, but this shift is this mentality, which was build it, and they will come. And so churches would build and expecting people to come, and and if they weren't still trying to actively reach people, be innovative, be creative, be relevant, people would stop coming. So that isn't how we live incarnationally. We have this wonderful space, this facility that we're very proud of and very blessed to have, but it's got to be beyond just these walls. We have a great place to gather together and to worship and to build community, but in our vision, we're talking about building transforming communities outside of these walls where people know that they're included, accepted, and loved. This new neighborhood that's going back uh, behind us on our property, Monticello, there's so much excitement because it's, there's bringing a newness, a freshness. And so it shouldn't surprise us when people are inviting because something new is always appealing. But building a building and, and expecting people to show up, that, that's, we can't just let it lie there. We have to each individually all of our families have to be involved in reaching other people for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of, of people knowing who Jesus is and having that relationship, that life-changing relationship. We have to live as sent people and not just sit back and expect people to come to us because that doesn't work anymore. We have to be Jesus to people in our neighborhoods, our work, our schools, our classrooms, our stores, wherever we are. Go the distance. <laughs> what was that again? Whisper, voice? Go the distance. Yeah, so go the distance. That was, that was another phrase that made Ray kind of think that he was going nuts, uh, if you remember in the story. He thinks he's going nuts, and so he takes that. He, he, he's supposed to build a, a ball field. Uh, he thinks that he's supposed to go to Boston to meet this reclusive author and, and draw him out of his shell and build, uh, build it, and they will come go this distance, and it makes him think that he's going nuts. I think that maybe there's a good parallel there to following Jesus. Now, if you're hearing audible voices, come talk to me later 
Um, but I think that when we hear the call of Jesus, that sometimes we might think, that's a little too nuts. I can't do that. But we have to listen to that whisper. We have to listen to that voice because it might be calling us to some adventure, some dream that God has for our lives that's better than what we have right now. And so go the distance. Uh, we need to be going out of our way, like how Jesus went out of his way, coming down out of heaven to be with us. Jesus taught us his way of life, and he talked about the kingdom of God to anyone, everywhere, anytime he came into contact with them. And he did it in, in a Jesus way that disarmed people, in a way that they knew that he loved them. And so we're to communicate that in our own ways. Next week, we're going to be looking at what is the gospel? What does that mean? Because it's a word we talk about, and, and it's uh, in some names of different churches, but what does it really mean? How do we live that out? We're supposed to live that out in, in our unique ways of Jesus living through us. We've got the American dream. Uh, the American dream is uh, a family with 2.3 kids, uh, a steady 401k uh, uh, so you can retire, a white picket fence, and occasionally um, you can mow your lawn. Um, and, but what I find interesting about this American dream, as it is sold to us, um, is that it doesn't really involve other people a lot of times outside of our family unit. Have you ever noticed that? This is just about your family. And, and not necessarily if you're keeping up with the Joneses, but, but it doesn't go beyond just your family unit, whether it's a family of one or a family of 20, which is really big, but I think that's where it has some failings. I think the Jesus dream that God has for us involves sharing with people beyond our household, sharing life, and being involved in, our, in, in one another's lives that, that goes beyond the American dream. There's nothing wrong with 2.3 kids, a white picket fence, a 401k, but, but there's something more to this following Jesus that we're offered. We're more fulfilled when we're helping and serving other people. Jesus goes out of his way to build a relationship with humanity to restore us for our redemption. Now, some people might be uh, here sitting and, and thinking, yeah, Brian, that's all and good, but that's, that's literally God going out of God's way and, and, and getting into humanity in a really big way that none of us can do. And yeah, you're right. It was a big ordeal but we're still called to live in that true human way that Jesus taught us. We need to show the truth of what it means to live in that perfect balance of, of grace and truth, incarnationally. And that means we go out of our way for people at times. Learning to be more like Jesus is the process of, of learning what it means to love others the way we love ourselves. When I was... Uh, in college, um, my sophomore year, um, there were four of us that uh, lived together in a suite in our dorm, and uh, two rooms that were um, adjoined by a bathroom. 
And if you're a visual learner, don't picture the bathroom because you don't want to go there. Um, so four guys, and uh, we were good friends. And one guy named Dave, I didn't know Dave very well. And Dave, um, he, the rest of us went to the same campus ministry. And uh, we were in Bible studies and stuff like that. And Dave, that wasn't really Dave's thing. And so I'm trying to help Dave grow in his faith, kind of discover who Jesus is, that sort of thing. And, and I didn't really know, like, what Dave really uh, thought of Jesus. I didn't really know what Dave's connection was with God because it never really asked. But, but I tried to, to reach Dave, and so here's the way that I went about it. Dave was really good at putting four letters together in a way, in the English language, he cussed a lot. <laughs> He cussed a lot. And, uh, and my gosh, oh, oh no. Uh, my sweet mate has a cussing problem? Like, oh my gosh, oh, woe is me. So uh, what I try to do is just to, to maybe lighten the move, mood is uh, if he would say a word that is in describing uh, the cafeteria food that day and just be like, oh, it tasted like, you know, I'd be like, where? I don't want to step in it. Right? I tried to make a joke of it. Um, thank you for the pity laughter. Uh, or if he'd take Jesus' name in vain and, you know, stub his toe, ah, Jesus' name in vain, I'd be like, hey, is he, is he here? I, I've got some questions I want to ask him. And maybe it was cute or funny for like, maybe, once. But what happened is that I didn't let it go, and over time, it started to wear on Dave. And there was one moment where, uh, that scenario played itself out. And he, he said, Brian, I know what you're trying to do. But every time you do it, you make me feel stupid. And I realized there was so much more that Jesus cared about than Dave's way of speaking. There's so much more that I could have um, tried to do, or, or uh, what I could have done was just listen to Dave and get to know him more and, and forget about his lack of a potty mouth or not. Like, why did I even care? Now, words can hurt, but hear me very well. Dave was a great guy, and I blew an opportunity to share Jesus with him in a, in a in a good way. And I, I'm sure maybe I'm giving myself a hard time, but, but Dave and I really didn't have a friendship after that. But I'm glad that he piped up and that he said something because it taught me a lesson that, that I wish I could have been seeing Dave for who he was and what he was going through as a person and not just some of the words that he said. And I think that that's why I love talking about and, and encouraging you all to, to, to do block parties, whether you're attending or hosting them, because it's an opportunity for us to be around people when they're going to let their hair down, when they're going to give us windows to, to just build into their lives and, and talk to them and share life incarnationally, build a friendship to, to encourage them, to, to be there for them when they're going through hardships. That's why we're keep we're still encouraging this grassroots initiative to do block parties, to build transforming communities where people know that they're included, accepted, and loved.
When you're at a block party, whether you're hosting or uh, attending, you end up coming across people that you live by that maybe you don't have a ton in common with, or maybe you don't know how to relate to them, but, but you, uh, when you put forth an effort to get to know them, I find that you start to build a relationship that doesn't have to be a knock on your door, out of the blue, have you heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'd like to have a conversation with you. Because that doesn't work in our culture typically. It's through relationships. It's through making those friendships. In Tangible Kingdom, they pointed out that um, the, the, the culture that Jesus and the first generation of Christ followers and, and several generations of Christ followers, that they, the culture they lived in was very different from ours, if you didn't know that. And this is what they, they say. They say, if you wanted a relationship with God in ancient times, then you had to have a relationship with God's people, many of whom you would not want to talk with over the fence in the backyard. To be a part of God's people required that the fences come down that eye contact be made with divinely connected people who are much different than you. Ease his pain. Ease his pain. I promise that's the last creepy uh, whisper that we do. Thank you so much back there, anonymous guy. Um, how do you live on incarnationally? How do you ease someone's pain? Well, you're present for people. You follow the teachings of Paul, who was one of the first, uh, he was in the first generation of Christ followers. He said this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In Field of Dreams, Ray ends up meeting his dad at the end, and they play a game of catch. No, uh, sorry for the spoiler, but... It's a healing time for both of them because they're doing something together. They're present. When we pursue being incarnational in our neighborhoods and living as people sent to our neighbors, our, our classmates, our coworkers, then we find moments like in Field of Dreams where we have a window of opportunity to be there for someone, to live out that grace and truth that Jesus tells us to live. Paul tells another community he helped find Christ with the following, we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order for you not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. We develop a heart for people when we spend time with them who don't know God. That's how we live incarnationally. Last week, we challenged you to cross your fence and bless uh, a neighbor, to talk with them. This week, we want you to bless one person in your neighborhood that maybe is on the outskirts, that, that maybe you don't know very well, without strings attached. Whether you do that anonymously or you do that uh, in person, but bless them without strings attached. And before you do, what we want you to do is pull out a lawn chair, sit down in your driveway, and just kind of observe your neighborhood. Look around. Think through your neighbors and their situations. Think through what their families are going through. Think about what their job status is. And pray that maybe God could inspire you for how to bless them. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would help us understand and know what it looks like 
to be a part of building the tangible kingdom. Lord God, we, um, we're in awe of how you built relationships with people, how you ate with people that might, have, uh, might make us uncomfortable, but you saw them for who they are, for the image uh, that they are created in, as being one of God's kids. So we ask that you would help us to, to do that with our neighbors, coworkers, classmates, because there's someone for each one of us that we have a trouble seeing as one of your kids. We can't wrap our minds around how to reach our neighborhood. Help us to hear that whisper, to know how to make your kingdom tangible. We pray this in your name. Amen.